and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, supported this week by Clip My Horse TV, the leading live stream provider for equestrian sport and breeding. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. This week, we'll be previewing the upcoming dressage, show jumping and para dressage world championships in Herning, starting with an interview with British dressage team rider Lottie Fry. She'll pilot the impressive stallion Glamourdale at the event in just a couple of weeks' time. I know that he loves the big atmospheres and he loves the pressure and the more people watching him the better. He's just like the biggest show off um, and he just wants to make sure all eyes are on him really. I'll then be chatting to my colleagues Polly Bryan and Jennifer Donald about the British team's chances at the championships and the main contenders. I think that we do have a really decent shot of, yeah, a medal, definitely. And it could be silver. I mean, it could be gold, but I think silver's much more realistic than gold. Finally, we'll catch up with our hunting editor, Catherine Austin, to talk about last week's Festival of Hunting at Peterborough. So we've got plenty to get through this week. Do up your noseband and let's get started. Hello, it's Polly Bryan here, dressage editor at Horse and Hound. Well, it's only just over a week to go until the World Dressage Championships gets underway in Herning, Denmark, and we're all getting very excited. The teams have been announced, the countdown is on, and I'm here today with a member of one of those teams, the lovely Lottie Fry. Hi, Lottie. Hi. Lottie was a member of the British medal-winning team at the Olympics and the Europeans in 2021. She will be back on the British team riding at her first World Championships. Lottie, congratulations on team selection. How does it feel to have it confirmed you're off to Herning? Thank you. Um, It's really exciting. Um, This is my first World Championships and um, I'll be taking Glamourdale. So it's going to be very exciting, yeah. It is, yes. So, of course, Everdale is the horse that people will have seen you competing at championships with last year. But yes, as you say, you'll be riding Glamourdale in Herning, his first ever championship. Um, It's fair to say he is a bit special, isn't he? Tell us about Glamourdale. He is. He's very special. Um, So in 2018, he was world champion for seven-year-old horses, um, which was already incredible then. And (laughs) he made... Uh, such a great step up to Grand Prix uh, last year and he's only got a few kind of big shows under his belt um, but he's just getting better and better and he's already had the magical 80% one time (laughs) and so it's just so exciting and he's he's incredible to ride and so I'm really looking forward to getting in the arena next week. Oh gosh, I bet you are. He's pretty incredible to watch as well as as to ride. Um, you mentioned there that that he won the seven year old um world breeding championship title in 2018. That was of course with you riding. Back then, did you already have that feeling that he was going to go on to great things? You know, was he always a star in the making? Yeah, he's always been a star. I think <laughs> ever since he was three, he won the Stallion Performance Test. Um, and I think from that moment, he's always been so special. And just when you look at him, he just has something about him. He's such a show off and he has these incredible paces and especially the canter. It's, it's just amazing to watch. Yeah. And he scored tens for his canter at that, that world breeding championship, didn't he? I think yeah, that was the highlight yeah. of, uh, of your performance <laughs> then. <laughs> 
We feature Glamadel in a spotlight feature in the magazine quite recently. He was also our cover star for that issue. Um, he looked incredible <laughs> on the front cover of the magazine. <laughs> you, you said when I spoke to you for that feature a little while back that he really loves a big atmosphere. He rises to an occasion. That must give you a lot of confidence going into something as big as the World Championships. Yeah, definitely. I know that he loves the big atmospheres and he loves the pressure and the more people watching him, the better. He's just like the biggest show off um, and he just wants to make sure all eyes are on him, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think he deserves to have all eyes on him. He is pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> and you mentioned that, um, that you've already had that magical 80% score, which is amazing. Um, you've had lots of lots of really good results with him, but I know you feel there's more to come, isn't there? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's you always things that can be better, but yeah, he's he still sometimes feels a little green, especially going in to do all the Grand Prix things. And when he had 80%, he, he really was amazing. But there's still small things that we can pick up on and make better. And I think that's just so exciting the whole time, finding little things where we can improve. And he just does everything so well, really. He doesn't really have a weakness. Um, yeah. So that's just so cool to be able to ride a test and know that everything he can do so well. Yeah, that must be amazing. Um, I was going to say, what is his kind of biggest strength? What is his, you know, best movement? But I guess maybe it's hard to pick. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> it is. He gets very high marks for his extended trot, his trot half passes, his passage, his piaf, his two tempies, one tempies, extended canter, zigzag, pirouettes. Yeah. He's listing the whole Grand Prix there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And of course, you you ride him for uh, for the Van Alsts in the Netherlands, where you're based. And I know you train with um, Anna Van Alst out there. What have you been working with with her sort of recently in the, in the run up to herning? What in particular is there something in particular you've been working on in training with her and, and with Glammy? Um, we've been doing a lot of basics, really, um, just making sure all the aids are there. And we've had a few run throughs of of the tests just okay. to check that we're we're ready and. Yeah, he's feeling great every day and we've done lots of hacking and going out for grass and just keeping him really happy. Yeah. Oh, it sounds good. I um, I also heard from your, your groom, Richard, when I was writing our spotlight feature. Um, <laughs> he said that Glammy is something of an escape artist when you take him out <laughs> in the lorry. Is that right? Yeah, I think he just prefers to not have his head collars on <laughs> or he just does it to prove a point. I think that's more more like it. He prove a point. He can do whatever he wants and get away with it. <laughs> so he wears multiple head collars, does he? Yeah, he wears two head collars wherever he goes and hopefully one is still on when we arrive <laughs> <laughs> oh bless him he is quite a character isn't he he sounds like he is yeah he has such a big personality <laughs> oh i think that makes it even better doesn't it not so, yeah. not just great in the arena but you know really lovely and interesting outside of the arena as well yeah so in herning you're going to be on the british team with charlotte Dujardin riding imhotep gareth hughes and classic brolinka and richard davison and bubbling how does it feel to be on a team with those guys it's really exciting of course we're gonna we're gonna miss carl on the team for sure yeah. but um no it's it's really great and to be there with charlotte and gareth who we were in tokyo with last year mm. um will be really nice and I've been on a few teams with Richard as well already with the Nations Cup and uh, he's, he's always great fun and so supportive. And yeah, no, I think we're going to have a really great time and it's always nice to have 
such great people on the team to create a bit of team spirit and really support each other. Yeah, I hear a lot that the British team is particularly good at creating that sort of atmosphere, that supportive team spirit. And I think you, you've talked about that, haven't you, since being in Tokyo, especially? Yeah, definitely. Like the the British just, I don't know, we just seem to really get on well with everyone and everyone wants to support each other. Everyone wants everyone else to do the best they possibly can. And that's just a great feeling. Definitely. Um, and of course, it was actually only, uh, I think, three years ago, wasn't it, that you were riding on your first um, championship team for Britain in 2019 at the Europeans. Yeah. It, it sort of does seem quite a long time ago. I'm not sure if it, if it does for you. Obviously, so much has happened since then. But I'm interested in how your sort of mindset around competing at that very, very top level might have changed from then. You know, do you do you go into the championships now? with a different sort of uh, attitude, different sort of mindset, or or is it very much the same kind of emotions? Um, I think, I mean, it does really feel like a long time ago, even though it's not. <laughs> I think I was almost in so much shock then because I it was kind of unexpected to, to happen that year. Mm. Um, and I, I hardly remember a thing from that Europeans because <laughs> I genuinely think I was just in shock at <laughs> the fact I was there. <laughs> um, yeah. And definitely after Tokyo and after the Europeans last year, um, I really felt myself start to enjoy it a lot more and really kind of treasure every moment. And I'm hoping I'll be able to do the same at this championship. <laughs> oh, I hope so. You, um, you always seem just so cool, so calm, so collected at these big competitions. Is that how you describe yourself or is it actually not, not so much the case at all? No, I mean, I am a pretty cool, calm person um, and it's not till I come out of the ring and then the adrenaline is just going and it's like everything's coming out. As soon as you come out of the ring, um, all your emotions come out that you've been kind of, I don't know, you've been putting into this for the last year. Um, so, yeah, that's always kind of the main emotional moment as you do your last salute. Mm. And before then, it's there's so much focus and... Um, all you think about is the horse to be honest nothing else goes through your head yeah yeah I mean you always do look incredibly focused in the arena <laughs> um, I guess there's going to be that extra sort of focus that you'll need riding a horse who's never been to a championship like that before obviously he went to the the young horse championships where the atmosphere is massive I know um, but in terms of senior level it's his first time um, yeah but it sounds as though he won't need that much hand holding <laughs> No, I don't think so. And he wouldn't like me to hold his hand, that's for sure. <laughs> he wouldn't want to be seen holding my hand. <laughs> oh, he is a big, tough stallion, that is for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to these competition days, when it comes to the big, you know, the really big events, the championships, what kind of routine do you have on on those days when you ride? What, you know, is there something that you always like to try and do before you ride? How do you kind of get yourself in the zone? I know everyone always has different um, different habits, different things they like to, like to do. Yeah, um, well, a lot depends on whether we're competing in the morning or the afternoon. Sure. If it's later in the day, then obviously I like to watch um, a few in the class already. Mm -hmm. And also th then I would like to have kind of got on and walked him around a little bit, stretched his legs and kind of focused really on our test while I've been walking him. And 
before I get on, then I spend quite a lot of time looking at old videos okay. um, of me riding the test on that horse and kind of going over every little thing. And then I'll sit down with Anna and we'll go through the whole test together, uh, what we need to focus on, um, all the different lines, what kind of different things I need to be thinking of at that time. And then we will discuss the warm up, what we think is kind of the best um, how he's been going and yeah. what, how we're going to structure the warm up, basically. And the last thing I'll do is brush my teeth just before I go. <laughs> is there a reason for that? Or? <laughs> I don't know. I've just always done it, to be honest. Yeah. I just, I just, I don't know. No idea. <laughs> but it makes me feel much better. <laughs> Fair enough. I think everyone feels better after they've just brushed their teeth. So I, yeah. guess, I, guess, I guess we could probably all relate. <laughs> um, what is the warm up like with, with uh, Glamourdale? Does he need a lot of warming up? Does he need not too much? I know it'll obviously depend on, on outside um, environment, the heat, everything else. But generally, what are your kind of warm ups with him at, with him like? Well, I wouldn't say it's long, but it's not short either. So somewhere in between. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then we build him up really slowly, stretching, making him really supple. And then probably the last 15, 20 minutes before we go in, then we start to put the power in yeah. um, and kind of build him up so that hopefully he's at his peak as, as we're going into the arena. Yeah, obviously that is what we all want. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and he, and he and Everdale have, they have they have very similar breeding, don't they? They're, they're Lord Leatherdale mm -hmm. Negro, aren't they? Both of them. Yeah. How are they similar and how are they different to each other? Obviously, you've ridden both of them quite a while now. Yeah, um, they both love to show off. They don't want to let me down. Like when you're in the ring, you can really feel they're really trying for you. Um, and I think that's so important, especially with a stallion, that yeah. they're going to fight for you. I think they're both like, especially behind closed doors, they're, they're really cuddly and they do love a cuddle um, <laughs> as much as they don't want to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely don't necessarily look like they, that's what they're like when they're out in the ring doing their stuff, but it's lovely to hear that, <laughs> that yeah. they're little cuddly ones in the, uh, in the stable. <laughs> yeah, and they both have so much power, like it just feels endless. And when you're riding them, it feels like there's no limit to the amount that they can give you. Yeah. Um, which is a really special feeling. You don't get that so often. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, and how how would you say they were they were different? Are they are they quite similar in their kind of mindset and in their sort of um, what's going through their mind in in a test? Do you think or or not? I think they're probably similar with that. I'd say Glamourdale is much more kind of chill about everything. Okay. Um, Everdale has a lot more kind of energy and um, always excited, whereas mm. Glamourdale will walk around super chill and just like chat away to everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he's a bit more of a talker and Everdale doesn't really talk too much. He's okay. just very excited and yeah and in that way they kind of show off their different personalities yeah it's really interesting isn't it the difference <laughs> and obviously you ride so many horses a lot of them a lot of them stallions and it must be really fascinating seeing seeing their different personalities every day um, yeah. and how they evolve as well because obviously you ride these horses from a young age um, and then bringing them up through the levels it must be lovely to have that relationship with them yeah it really is oh fabulous um, I just have one more question which is related to your uh, routine on competition days what do you eat for breakfast before before a test at a, at a championship 
Do you oh eat my breakfast? God. <laughs> I will eat something, but actually, like, it varies so much depending on how I feel. But okay, hopefully, if it's later in the day, then I always try and find some pasta. I don't know oh, why. I just have this for breakfast. <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully, it's later in the day, and I don't have to push it to breakfast. But <laughs> if it has to be, it has to be. And uh, I just have it in my head that I should eat some pasta before I ride. <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm I'm crazy. Oh, I don't know. Sounds sensible. <laughs> well, it's certainly been doing the trick so far. Um, so I say carry on. <laughs> oh, well, Lottie, thank you so much for joining us today on the Horse and Town podcast. It's been fascinating to chat with you ahead of the World Dressage Championships kicking off in Herning. We all can't wait to see you in Glamourdale. And of course, the whole British team in action will all be cheering you on. Very best of luck. Thank you very much. This week's podcast is supported by Clip My Horse TV, the leading live stream provider for equestrian sport and breeding. If you don't want to miss a moment to the World Championships, tune in on Clip My Horse TV and FEI TV. Those who are not premium members can enjoy all the benefits free with a one-month trial. Use the code HH10 to save 10% on premium membership after that. So I'm joined now by two of my colleagues, Horse and Hounds dressage editor Polly Bryan and show jumping editor Jennifer Donald to preview all the action at the upcoming Echo FEI World Championships in Herning. I'm so excited to talk to you both about this. So let's introduce Polly first. How are you doing, Polly? Hi, Pippa. Yes, I'm really good. Thank you. Very excited about Herning as well. And hello to Jen as well. How are you? Hello. Yeah, good. Also equally excited, if not more. I can't tell. I think we're all highly excited over here. Yeah, I think, you know, it's that time of year at Horse and Hound when things start to get a bit crazy and uh, we're all super busy. But I think for us, sort of the Olympic sports editors, it is the absolute prime time of the year. And it is the, the time that we love to be previewing, reviewing all the action at these big championships, even though we're so crazy busy. Jen, I'm going to come to you first on this one because you have actually been to Herning before, which is the venue in Denmark where these multidiscipline world championships are taking place. You went there for the 2013 European so it is a while ago but I'm sure you can remember some things about it tell us what's it like um, it's one of these venues which is absolutely fantastic it does stick in the mind obviously my memories are slightly hazy going that far back but um, yeah the stadium itself is huge and it just feels like such a great atmosphere I think the Danish crowds are um, really up for it and it, the, even if the venue itself isn't completely full, it just raises the atmosphere. It's been it was a great championship to to be at, and actually it was a great championship 2013 when we won so many medals. So the, obviously the memories there are very good. But um, yeah, I think as a venue, all the riders enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. Um, spectators enjoyed it as well so I think yeah lots to look forward to this is very reassuring for me because I haven't been there before so it's good to hear that it's a great venue <laughs> and the Brits won the team gold at that European championships in the show jumping didn't they Jen that's it it was uh one of those absolutely unforgettable moments when um we I mean it was just medals galore for the Brits that year we won the team gold and uh Scott and Ben got silver and bronze respectively for their individuals so there was so many good celebrations so many good memories and just brilliant performances and uh yeah it was it's just one of those 
places that just is electric and I think we would have been cheering for whoever won it was just uh, it was really good that it was British that year so we enjoyed it immensely so I mm. hope I hope to see more of the same again this this year. Mm, and Scott Brash and Ben Mayer, who won those individual medals, featuring in the British teams again. But we'll get onto that in due course. The thing I remember from that championship, Jen, is of like looking back on on it, and I wasn't there, but I remember looking at the pages, and I literally remember this picture of you and our dressage editor at the time, Alice Collins, and Jenny Rudel from Horse and Country, jumping into each other's arms at the moment when the Brits won the team gold. <laughs> it was a brilliant picture. I've never seen anything like it. It was fantastic, and I don't. He just. I don't know how it was. John Stride who captured it for us. He just got that image and it sort of sums up the whole championships and just the emotion and the build up to all that we were all sort of you know I was following the show jumping Alice was there for the dressage and obviously Jenny was there for horse and country but we just all came together in that moment there was just so much to celebrate it was like I'm still getting goosebumps just talking about it it was uh yeah when you see all your team sort of come together like that in such pressure um building up over so many days to win that it was uh yeah one of these unforgettable moments it was brilliant and I think I remember it as well as, you know, maybe the Brits uh, team gold at London 2012 had been a bit of a surprise. So it felt like a bit of a consolidation to get that result mm. the year after as well. That's it. And we had um, obviously, yeah, we mentioned Ben and, and Scott on the team, but we also had William Funnell and uh, Michael Whitaker that year. And they just all had horses that were at the top of their game. And, you know, it came on the back of 2012. So there was that something of an expectation that we could do it again but you just never know in these championships you know so much could go wrong you know horses can fall by the wayside or whatever so um when it all comes together like that it's it is amazing but uh yeah it's it it brings a certain amount of pressure as well i think uh, people like ben mayer will be feeling it again this year when when you've won a medal your the expectation is there and it does bring extra pressure with it so um yeah I don't know whether it's better to be the underdog and, and slip through the net quietly or to celebrate as you go along and just hope for the best it's <laughs> <laughs> well happy herning memories there from 2013 for Jen let's look forward to this year's championships so we're going to start with the format and we'll go sport by sport so the Blue Horse FEI World Dressage Championships to give it its full title let's start with you Polly talking about that one so the dressage, what's the format? How many days are they competing over? How many people competing each day? How does it all work? So I think a lot of people are probably quite relieved to find that we are back to a more familiar format with the uh, World Dressage Championships compared to last year in Tokyo when there was a very new format and a lot of people took a long time to get their heads around it, myself included. Um, this year it is much more familiar. Um, the team competition is judged from the Grand Prix alone. Um, all the starting competitors will ride the Grand Prix over two days, the Saturday and the Sunday. And the the medals be awarded based on on those Grand Prix scores. There's four to a team. The uh, best three scores are to count, which again is um, definitely I think a relief to a lot of people after being on teams of three in Tokyo. And then the Grand Prix also allows uh, it acts as a qualifier for the first of the individual competitions, which is the Grand Prix Special. It's the top thirty combinations from the Grand Prix that progress into the special. That's on the Monday, on the eighth of August, and. That there'll be another well there'll be the first set of the individual medals awarded for the special 
all four of the uh, riders on each team on on a team sorry can go forward to the special if they if they qualify if they are within that top 30 uh that's a bit different for the freestyle which uh the top 15 from the special qualify for the freestyle but no more than three riders per nation are permitted to actually ride in the freestyle and um it does more often perhaps people think it does happen that all four riders in uh one particular team actually qualify for the freestyle and unfortunately the one who qualified with the lowest score cannot actually compete this happened to Britain's Gareth Hughes um at the Europeans last year he did finish I think it was 15th in the special but unfortunately um he had to take a back seat and not ride in the freestyle but that is that has you know been the case for a while that is not a new a new rule um and we're very excited to see yeah two sets of individual medals and of course the teams Mm, and of course, at the last World Championships in 2018 in Tryon, where you and I were together, Polly, we mm-hmm. actually lost that freestyle um, due to the weather. Oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> due to the weather makes it sound like it drizzled or something. <laughs> there was actually a hurricane. <laughs> um, although I think it, uh, we, we got off quite lightly, didn't we, Pippa, with the uh, effects of it actually on the two of us. But yes, the freestyle was cancelled. It was pretty devastating for, well, for everybody um, involved. And there were a lot of a lot of jokes flying around about the only person to ride a freestyle that week was Charlotte Dujardin because she was out there on the horse Mount St. John Freestyle. Um, so I'll always remember that. But yeah, very excited to see a world championship freestyle for the first time since 2014. And wow. I've always found it a bit weird that there are two sets of individual medals at some of these dressage championships. So I think I annoyed a lot of dressage people by basically saying, you've had a team medal, you've had an individual medal. I don't know what all the fuss is about. Um, <laughs> and Polly basically had to explain to me that to lose the freestyle is a bit like losing cross-country day if you're the event to get it. Yeah, so. yeah. I uh, I think I shed a tear. <laughs> if I'm wrong, I was very overtired. I think I shed a tear when they announced that. <laughs> oh dear, well, these things happen at championships. Jen, we are coming over to you now. So we have the Agria FEI World Jumping Championships. What is the format for this competition? Well, I feel after the dressage, it feels like it's a lot more straightforward for the show jumpers. Um, they start on um, Wednesday with the individual speed competition. Um, so it's the rider who has, it's a bit complicated, the whole scoring process on day one um the person who has the fastest time and the clear will then move through on a zero score and then all the riders behind the top rider are then given penalty points according to how far behind they are on their their time and their fault so it's quite complicated but it ends up in decimal points and things so actually you've got very clear-cut leaderboard you know the the leader is always starting on zero from um, the second round and it it makes it quite straightforward it's quite a good way of doing it but yeah speed is the essence on day one but you do have to go clear as well otherwise you do lose your chances you have to be right up there from day one because it's accumulative scoring so yeah it's key to get a really good round on day one Jen that's confused me slightly when you say it's accumulative scoring but they start they go back to start on zero for each round the leader is on zero and then um each rider so say a rider was um six seconds behind but on a clear he would get a certain um difference of score Uh, added on I've got so it's it's yeah it's kind of like a descending scoring pattern rather than like four faults carried through that kind of thing so um from day one that is and then um they move on to the nation's cup two rounds of team jumping thursday and friday and the top 10 teams go through on to friday and that's when the 
team medals will be decided. So that should always be an exciting you know sort of midway point and then there's a rest day on saturday and then the top 25 individual riders after these three days will go through to sunday's final and that's when the medals are decided and that's when the jumps ramp ramp up considerably uh we're talking sort of one meter 65 you know proper big full dimensions and stuff so uh two rounds of individual jumping on sunday and we'll get a individual world champion at the end of it so um the question i get asked the most is what's happened to that uh, the rider swap in the olden days they used to come down to the final four and all the riders used to have to swap horses and i think um it was not popular with the riders but we loved it it's such a great spectacle to see all these four riders swapping horses at the end of it to decide the medals and with four as well you always used to have one guy who just um didn't get a medal it was always slightly dramatic at the end but yeah so we miss those days but as you said polly as well we're sort of back from the change we had in tokyo we're back to you know having a drop score and things like that so um people prefer it a lot of people prefer it but yeah there's a lot to be said for the tokyo um format as well but yeah we're back to normal so to speak for show jumping as well it's mm. interesting how you say that uh <laughs> yours is is simple compared to hearing the dressage <laughs> oh, <yes>. format i <laughs> feel like the dressage is so much more simple <laughs> this is so funny yeah no, to me that's so straightforward <laughs> Well, I think this just proves that, you know, once you understand something, it feels simple. But uh, I think <laughs> yeah. for me, I always think that show jumping is its very best at these big championships when you're following the combinations all the way through the week and you see how the horses develop and, and improve, hopefully through the week, or maybe one of them will lose their confidence and the rider has to get mm. that back. It's I think it's fascinating to see that progression um, and, and story develop through the week. Polly, obviously, you not only have to worry about dressage, you have to worry about para dressage as well at Inherning. So we have the Orifarm Health Car FEI World Para Dressage Championships. This one has five grades. And if you thought it was complicated in able body dressage and show jumping, you ain't seen nothing yet, listeners. <laughs> Come on, Polly, give us a rundown on how the paras work. I mean, to be fair, I don't think it's that complicated. But, uh, but yes, I will try and explain it as simply as possible. There is one big change this year, which I will... Uh, reveal in a moment for anyone who is not already aware so in the para dressage there are again there's a team medal awarded uh and then there are also two sets of individual medals um a straight individual set of medals and also for the freestyle so that in itself is relatively similar to the dressage the individual competition actually happens first in the para dressage uh and that takes place over two days to allow all five of the grades to uh take place and compete the team competition then takes place over another two days and the team medals will be decided based on the scores in that round and this is followed by the freestyle now the big change this year and this is very confusing to explain but it is not actually that confusing uh, in itself is that the actual tests that the riders will ride in each round have been reversed so the test that is known as the individual test will be ridden in the team competition. It's slightly more difficult, uh, and that is why it has been sort of bumped up to the second round of the competition to the team uh, element of it. The, the test that has always been known as the team test, which is slightly more simple, 
is now going to be ridden first by all the riders in the individual competition. And there has been um, a lot of discussion about potentially changing the names of these tests uh, to something more in line with dressage, um, perhaps using the term Grand Prix, because team and individual made sense when they were being used in that same competition. But now they've swapped around. I can see this getting rather confusing. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) riders will ride the slightly easier test in the individual competition first. They will then go on to ride the slightly more difficult test in the team competition that follows. And for the freestyle, which happens on the last day, the, uh, each combination's results from the two tests they have already ridden will be combined. Uh, that will determine the top eight athletes in each grade. They will go forward to compete in the freestyle. Does that make sense? <laughs> that does make sense. Thank you, Polly. They're riding the team and the individual and the individual and the team and everything's entirely straightforward. <laughs> I think, listeners, all you need to know is they will ride three dressage tests if they are the best people. And if they're not the best people, they will only ride two. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, we've got it, Polly. Thank you very much. So let's speed on towards talking about the British teams and their chances. Let's go uh, dressage first again, Polly. Give us a quick rundown of who is riding on the British team and how you fancy their chances oh so I've given this an awful lot of thought in the last couple of weeks and um, everyone at Horse and Hound that knows me will know that I always uh, go very old school and I go through all of every potential um, medalist scores from the last year or so and I have a notebook with pages and pages of their top scores their lowest scores their average scores and I work out um, under every scenario where the medals might fall and they actually came out through those uh, calculations with Britain with a pretty good chance of a silver medal which I think some people might say is rather optimistic because on the team we do have three horses who have never been to a championship before. We have uh, Charlotte Dujardin riding Imhotep, who is her newest um, top horse after the sale of her Olympic and European medalist Geo last year. We also have Lottie Fry not riding her uh, European and Olympic horse Everdale, but instead riding the slightly younger Glamourdale. Uh, we also have Richard Davison, who is is back on a team for the first time. Well, he's back in a championship for the first time since London 2012, where he rode as an individual. And he is riding Bubbling, who is 16 now. He's a homebred. And this is Bubbling's first championship. I'm thrilled for Richard that he has been uh, selected for the team. He's put so much, so many years of hard work into that horse. It's been a real labour of love. Um, you know, I've really followed the two of them and their partnership and their career over the years. And I think it's great that they are on a team. And we also have Gareth Hughes with Classic Brialinka, who is the only horse who has been to a championship before. She was the best performing British horse at the European Championships in 2019. So that should bode well. Um, I think this is a really interesting team because I think that we do have a really decent shot of, yeah, a a medal, definitely. Um, And it could be silver. I mean, it could be gold. I think silver's much more realistic than gold. But there's an element of unpredictability simply because three of them haven't been to a major championship like this before especially in the case of Charlotte and Imhotep, they've only ridden two international Grand Prix as a combination ever. Imhotep has only done a, a, 
handful of Grand Prix in his life. He's only nine. He made his Grand Prix debut uh, in March this year, and he very sadly had to be withdrawn from the Hartbury CDI earlier this month um, because he had suspected colic. Luckily, he didn't turn out to have colic. He was he was absolutely fine, but they obviously had to do the right thing and withdraw him, which was a real shame and definitely would have um, hampered uh, Charlotte's preparations with him a little bit. She would have de- desperately wanted to get him out in front of international judges one more time for sure. Um, but he's a mega talented horse. I'm really excited about him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Glamadale as well is another super, super exciting horse that I think a lot of people cannot wait to see. Um, and Polly, do you think those horses have got the, the sort of the characteristics to cope with the massive atmosphere of the championships? Have they shown that in the competition so far? Uh, yes, I do. Of Imhotep and Glamadale, certainly I do. Um, Glamadale, when I say none of them have been to a championship, Glamadale was the world seven-year-old champion at the World Breeding Championships in 2018. And there is a massive atmosphere at those championships. And he coped with that brilliantly and came out on top. So it is not quite fair to say he's never been to a championship, but he hasn't been to a major senior championship. Um he Lottie tells me that he always rises to the occasion he goes better at a you know at a really big show he loves the crowd he loves to show off she is really excited to get oh. him out in that ring at Herning um Imhotep as well he's had much less experience but um Charlotte has talked about how excited she has always been for him to be a team horse she's talked about the energy he always has he you know he can come out across three days and perform brilliantly every time um you know, she. I don't think she's worried about about how, how he'll react in the atmosphere. Therefore, I don't think anyone else needs to be either. Yeah. <laughs> well, good to, uh, to hear riders having confidence in their horses there. Jen, coming over to you on the show jumping side, who's in our British team and what are their chances? Well, you'd have to say the British team this year are absolutely red hot and one of the most exciting teams I've seen for a long time. First of all, you've got the Olympic champion Ben Mayer with Explosion. You obviously can't go wrong taking the Olympic champion to a championship. Um, He's joined by Scott Brash with Hello Jefferson, who was also out in Tokyo. And uh, Jefferson is one of these horses. He just uh, he's been primed, ready for this. And he's so consistent. And uh, hopefully he's this is his turn to shine i think he's uh he's done so well in so many big competitions but just hasn't quite got the accolades that i think he deserves so um i'm hoping this championship will be a good one for scott and uh jez as he's called at home um we've also got harry charles and romeo one of the young talents of the country at the moment and they of course were in uh, tokyo as well and i think they've also got great chances and great um, form coming into this um, and then the fourth rider we joined another young rider we've got Joe Stockdale with Equine in America Cacharel and I think selectors are looking ahead to sort of Paris 2024 with their bringing in their young riders for this team because it's you know we've got a real mix of experience and you know Joe who's only been to one championship already and he, they're both Harry and Joe are young 20s so uh, really exciting for the future um, we've also got John Whitaker at the other end of the scale John Whitaker and uh, Equine America unique to Frankport coming as a reserve so you know it's uh, a really really amazing team with such great names and uh, I really think at least a medal and I think um, without wanting to put the kiss of death on them I think it really could be gold you know it's a it's a one of those teams that you would sort of dream up in a top trumps game or something it's uh, yeah it really really good it looks very exciting. 
Well, it does sound like a very exciting team there on the jumping side. So going over to the para dressage discipline, Polly, tell us who is representing Britain there and how do we think they're going to fare? Well, Pippa, I'm a little bit like Jen when I look at the British para dressage team this year because I am really, really excited about their chances. Again, I don't want to put the kiss of death on them, um, but these are the same uh, the same riders and the same horses that won gold in Tokyo last year at the Paralympics. And I really think they have it in them to do the same again here. We've got uh, Salih Pearson, the legend that is Lee Pearson riding Breezer. We have Natasha Baker riding Keystone Dawn Chorus. We have Sophie Wells and Don Cara M. And we also have Georgia Wilson riding Sakura. And the thing that's really interesting here is that these four combinations went out to Tokyo last year and there was definitely an air of we're not expecting too much. Um, the riders, or certainly Sophie, uh, Natasha and Lee, are incredibly experienced and Georgia a little bit less so. But it was their horses that were all going out to their first major championship Um they all had so little experience under their belts. They were all very sort of un, untried, untested in that in that regard. And they came home with gold and just performed absolutely brilliantly. And now all these horses have another year of experience under their belts. I know all of them, um, for all of them, Tokyo was, a, was an amazing, you know, milestone, an amazing experience and really helped all of them mature. And I really think that if they can do it, that if they can do it there, they can do it again. That's certainly what I would be hoping for. Okay, well, we've got fighting talk from Polly, who's expecting our power riders to bring home a big fat gold medal. I like that. No pressure, guys. <laughs> so let's look at some of the other nations who could be challenging teams, individuals, people we think are going to be giving the Brits a run for their money across these different sports. So coming back around to dressage, Polly, who are the, the pairs and the teams that we need to look out for? So I'm going to say it now. I think that... Uh, Denmark will win team gold and I think there will be a clean sweep of gold medals for Denmark's Catherine Dufour um, I would not like to bet against her I have to say I think that she is going to be you know this is going to be her championship I really think so um, Denmark are the home the home team obviously they've got the the home crowd advantage and you know Denmark have really been sort of cultivating their national team with this championship in mind and they were very very strong last year they they were fourth in tokyo very agonizing place to finish and they were they won the bronze in um in hagen at the europeans and i just think that they are going from strength to strength um they've got a couple of very young horses on their team but they, these are horses that I just think are so mega talented and they've got some of the best riders in the world on their backs. It was revealed uh, very late last night, just just after we went to press with our preview, that Catherine would be riding uh, Vamos Amigos, who is her younger horse compared to Bohemian, who she rode at both championships last year. Vamos Amigos is actually British owned. He's owned by the Pidgey family. So that's very, very exciting. That's a really lovely British link. And um, he was the runner up at the World Cup final in April, um, which should tell you all you need to know about how good he is. <laughs> he is mega exciting. And I think for Catherine to have chosen to ride him, that says a lot about what she thinks about him and his potential. The rest of the Danish team are super strong. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see 
Catherine's teammate Karina Casacruth riding uh, Helene's Danciera winning an individual medal potentially. This mare is absolutely beautiful. They did really, really well in Tokyo. And I think another year under their belts and being on home ground will, you know, could really see them right up there. Uh, Daniel Backman Anderson with the very young Marshall Bell. They are a really exciting combination that could do very, very well. Yeah, I really think Denmark are the ones to beat. Um, it was really interesting putting together our preview because I went back and I looked down the team results from all the world championships going, you know, way, way, way back. And even I was pretty stunned to realize that um, a German team has only ever been beaten to the world title twice. Oh, and that's crazy. It is pretty crazy. Um wow. And that was uh, by the Netherlands in 2010 and the Soviet Republic in 1970. That's how far back we're going. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. And that was when we had both East and West Germany competing as two separate teams. So, Gosh. yeah, Germany have a pretty epic uh, run of form when it comes to world championships. They are, of course, the reigning world champions. I I do think that that um, that Denmark will will pip them this year. I do think Germany could well be on the podium. I think it might be a really uh, interesting tussle between them and Britain for the silver medal. Germany are going to be a strong team, but they're not. They haven't quite got the big hitters that have seen them just dominate the international scene over the last few years. Isabel Wirth has recently retired her two uh, top mares, Viagold and Bella Rose. She will be riding DSP Quantas who um, is another very talented horse. Whether or not he's going to make it onto the individual podium, I don't know. We also don't have the reigning uh, reigning Olympic and European champion, Jessica von Bredo-Verndel. She is, well, having her, ba- her second baby in August, is certainly when it is due, and the best of luck to her. She will not be riding in Herning, and that is actually, that has actually opened the door to for another couple of really talented riders uh, to get onto the German team, which is, you know, often <laughs> a bit impressive penetrable um and I think they could do really really well but I I don't know if they're going to hang on to their gold medal run oh really interesting it sounds like Mm. it's um some real action to be had there with possibly a a change in what can sometimes be quite a predictable sport I think it's also really worth mentioning that although I have predicted those three teams ending up on the podium um the USA could be up there the Netherlands could be up there I I do think that um it could be a really open competition because there's quite a few across all these top teams there's quite a few really big names that are missing or they're riding um less established horses and yeah I think it could get really interesting and really mix things up Mm, great well we'll look forward to hopefully a tight competition in the dressage there Um, Of course, I have to mention Carl Hester, who will not be riding on the British team in Herning. This is the first time since 2008 Carl has not ridden on a British championship dressage team. Um, And we will miss him hugely. His lovely top horse on Vogue suffered an injury earlier in the year and just really hampered his preparation and his sort of fitness programme leading up to team selection. I've never reported on a dressage championship without Carl riding there. I feel like it's going to be quite strange for me. he will be out there though he uh is the part owner of Imhotep Charlotte's Horse Charlotte's Ride with Coralingham so Carl I'm sure will be out there obviously a huge part of the the wider team and and obviously supporting Mm, well it's strange to have that British team competing without Carl but of course as you say he'll still be a big part of what's happening out in Herning so moving back to the show jumping again Jen who are the other teams and riders we need to look out for aside from the Brits 
Well, aside from the Brits, yeah, it's, it's show jumping is notoriously difficult to predict. I hate it when everyone says, please can you make some medal predictions for these previews and things. But yeah, there there's always some key nations to look out for in the show jumping. USA, Sweden are always uh, huge. We've got their current Olympic champions, reigning Olympic gold medalists. Um, Sweden have a very strong team, so I'd be looking out for them. I remember their jump off against each other in Tokyo. It was absolutely oh, incredible, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> to have three of your team riders jumping off against each other, it's just yeah, it just shows what a force they are. You've got the three same riders going again for the world championship so yeah they'll be very exciting We've got Henrik von Neckerman with King Edward who I think we all love one of our favorite combinations um and I think they deserve to to be right up there and then you've got Peter Fridrikson with H&M all in who we, again we all love um and to have come away with so many silver medals and you feel like it's this is probably their last chance to to get that individual title that they they again deserve and uh, I didn't realize he had never won individual gold he's finished second to uh nick skelton in 2016 and then Bemir in uh tokyo so uh yeah it's uh he's won team gold i mean it's you mm. know he hasn't done too badly for himself but uh <laughs> yeah especially with that horse as well it's just oh it, it's sort of thoroughly deserved if they did do it but uh yeah we'll see how they get on and then, yeah, some other key nations to look out for. Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, and actually Ireland have got a really good team again this year. Um, I mean, Ireland always managed to put a really good team together and they have been sort of gunning for this for quite a while. They've got um, some big names like Dara Kenny, Bertram Allen and uh, Kian O'Connor So, and with Daniel Coyle as well. So um, I think they're ones to look out for. Always cut, do well in a championship and... Uh, you know, really focused and really good for these kind of big events. You can't go wrong with Switzerland as well. They've got some amazing riders at the moment, none more so than uh, Martin Fuchs with Leonie J, who did so well at the Europeans, got individual silver and team gold. Um, Martin Fuchs is always one of these brilliant championship riders as well. It's uh, along with Steve Gerdat. They just seem to come to the fore in these big competitions and that's what you need as part of your team. So um, I wouldn't discount this, you know, there's countries like uh, Brazil and France, you might, probably not the red hot favorites, but again, have got some really good names among them. So um, other ones to look out for. Um, and then individually, yeah, um, you've got the reigning European champion, Andre team, who's from Germany with DSP Chikiria. And uh, yeah, I think, um, he could be gunning for a medal as well at these championships. And then Harry Smolders in Monaco are one of my tips. He's one of these riders. He's he's one of the best in the world and has won competitions all over the place. But amazingly, he's the only one, one championship medal in his career. So um, it feels like it's his turn to, to do well and to get a medal. And Monaco, that horse, is just one of the one of the most exciting horses on the circuit at the moment. So um, I think they're ones to look out for as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, when you've got all these kind of amazing names that we've been following, we've had so many championships in recent months, years, you know, with the build up from uh, Tokyo and Europeans and everything. It's you've we've had the same sort of big names coming out and performing over and over again. So it's really exciting to follow their progress. And I mean, I just hope they all come back and are in top form in herning. So uh, yeah, it should make for a very good competition. Well, that sounds like it's going to be an exciting one too, with lots of different uh, different teams in the mix there. So finally, Polly on the para dressage side, who are Britain's big uh, big 
I was about to say enemies. I don't think enemies is an appropriate <laughs> word. Definitely Big rivals not. going to be. Big rivals. Well, although I did say that I had tipped Britain for gold, um, they really do have some very strong competition. I, I definitely need to say that. Uh, the Netherlands are the team that ended Britain's unbeaten championship uh, run in terms of team medals in 2018. The Netherlands won world team gold and uh, they followed it up with the, um, the European title a year later. Uh, which was one of the reasons why it was such a surprise that Britain managed to come back and just edge past them in Tokyo. Uh, The Netherlands are definitely going to be really big contenders out in Herning, but a little bit like in the dressage, they um, are one of these very, very top teams who is actually missing one of their top performers from recent years, and that is Rix van der Horst, whose whose mare Finsley had to be withdrawn ahead of the freestyle in Tokyo. She, that mare, has gone back to her owner to have some rehab and Rixt won't be on the team this year in Herning so she will be missed greatly um, but the rest of the Dutch team are very strong they've got amazing strength and depth in the Netherlands when it comes to para dressage so I definitely expect them to be on a podium Denmark as well on home ground I really think they could do very very well they've got some really super riders and horses and um, yeah I really I really think they could do well And then there's teams like Germany, Belgium, France, who I wouldn't necessarily expect to be on the podium, but I would expect to be pushing towards it, if that makes sense. Um, You know, it's unlike show jumping, dressage and para dressage too is is rather more (laughs) predictable, but anything can happen. You know, we really don't know. So uh, I think it's going to be very exciting. Well, it sounds like we've got such an exciting championships coming up across all three disciplines. Thank you so much, Polly and Jen, for joining us today and giving us all of your insight and knowledge. Polly, of course, will be out in Herning following all the action. Eleanor Jones, our news editor, is actually heading out to Herning as our show jumping reporter as Jen sadly wasn't able to, uh, to to make it out there this year but Jen will of course be part of our team supporting Eleanor from home we'll have lots of staff supporting both Polly and Eleanor to bring you the very best coverage across both web and mag so we're looking forward to that week and thank you Polly and Jen for joining me today thanks thank Pippa can't wait Throughout the year, Horse and Hound sends reporters out to all the biggest events in the equestrian calendar to cover the action for our weekly magazine and our website at horseandhound.co.uk. The coverage we bring you on these two platforms is different. The weekly magazine provides your comprehensive curated roundup. We reflect back on the big wins and analyse all the results with insight from our team and experts in the industry. Meanwhile, on our website, we bring you the news as it happens. We speak to the riders as they leave the arena and report their thoughts in lightning quick time, covering all the biggest stories as they unfold and often producing 10 or more stories every day online from a big show. The first five articles you read on our website are free each month and beyond that you need to buy a subscription. The cost of this reflects the fact that we need a bigger team at events when we are creating extra articles on our website and not only producing a magazine report. To buy a Horse and Hound website subscription, visit horseandhound.co.uk and click subscribe. Or for great value, in the same place you can buy a combined magazine and website subscription. We know that magazine subscribers are our most loyal audience and we really value your ongoing and vital contribution to our business. Therefore, if you are already a magazine subscriber, the cost to upgrade your subscription to include full website access is minimal. Call 0330 
333-333-3313 to find out more. So I'm joined now by my colleague Catherine Austin, who is our hunting editor, to talk about the Countryside Alliance Festival of Hunting at Peterborough, which happened last week. How are you doing, Catherine? I am very well. I'm fine, thank you. We had a lovely day at Peterborough. Oh, good. Well, can you start off by telling our listeners who are less familiar with this event, what is it and why is it important in the hunting world? It's hunting's big summer day out. It's the premier hound show. There, there are quite a lot of hound shows well, in this country and all over the world, but this is probably the oldest. It's the most famous. It acts as a bit of a championship, a bit of a, you know, hound of the year show sort of thing. Um, and the great thing about it is that it combines nearly all types of hounds. They have their separate rings, you know, foxhounds and there's harriers, beagles, bassets, bloodhounds and so on. And it is a really joyful, happy, fun day out where hunting people get together in the summer, see their mates, go shopping, see beautiful hounds, get excited. And it also leads you a little bit towards next season. You suddenly think, oh, it's the end of July. Better get my horse up, better get going, better start thinking about hunting. Mm. So if I was to go to the Festival of Hunting or even another hound show, I guess, uh, next year or later this year, what would I expect to see? Is it like going to a horse show or the trade stands? Can I stand at the rails and, and watch hounds being judged? How does it work? Yes, absolutely. It's exactly the same. You have hounds being judged all day in different classes, um, in classes with different types of hounds, different ages of hounds, um, with very smart hunt staff wearing their hunt livery, showing them beautifully, which is a real skill. Lots of trade stands of all sorts. My great friend Mike Jackson managed to buy a, red, a new red coat for field mastering for a magnificent £10, which was a bit of a bargain, rather old coat, but very well made. Um, the usual, you know, food and drink and displays of, of various things. Also, two interhunt relays, a junior interhunt relay and a senior interhunt relay, which are very competitive. A lot to look at and a lot to enjoy. And it looks great. You know, beautiful hounds of all colours, hunt staff wearing their different coloured coats. It's a very vibrant, it really appeals to the eye as well as everything else, I think. Mm, I'm just looking at flicking through the pages in this week's magazine, actually, of our report on the uh, on the event, and uh, it looks great fun. And as you say, like there's a lot to a lot to look at and enjoy, and lovely to see all these hounds and and lots of pictures that we had, and as well of sort of people hugging hounds and just enjoying the time they're spending with them, as well as them being sort of show animals here. Absolutely, hunting is nothing without hounds. They are at the forefront and the centre of absolutely everything they do. They're amazing, amazing creatures, uh, extraordinarily intelligent, very loving, very affectionate. They they're super, and it's it's a real way of celebrating the hound and remembering how very lucky we are to have hounds, and that we must do our best to keep them. And presumably there'd be lots of people there who have sort of walked hound puppies in the past and might be reunited with, with the hounds who they walked when they were younger as well. Yes, which is always a bit of a danger because, yes, you definitely go to a show to see the hound puppy you've walked. But it's sort of rather against the rule. The hounds have got to concentrate, you know, do their bit, look good, show, and then 
meet their mates afterwards and so you have to I imagine you have to be quite careful not to catch the eye of the puppy you walked three years ago in case that suddenly he bounded over and said oh hi when he's supposed to be looking beautiful and majestic instead but it was a real thrill because the hunt that I hunt with the Heathrow um, were very fortunate to win both the modern English dog hound championship and the bitch championship which it was the fourth time that the Heathrow have won the Bitch Championship in the row and the first time that our master and huntsman, Charles Frampton, has bred a Doghound champion. And the, the really cool thing was that Nessie Chanter, who is a joint master of the Heathrow, had actually walked the Doghound champion, Rafa, herself. So she was more excited than you can, well, you can imagine. Oh, yeah. Nessie, a great friend of yours and uh, someone I know quite well as well. And that bitch championship, to take that for the fourth time in a row, that was a record. Is that right? Yes, it is a record. The great Captain Wallace, when he was master and huntsman of the Heathrow, he won the Peaceborough Bitch Championship three times in a row. So for us to win it, for Charles Frampton to win it four times, which is a record, um, was very, very special. Oh, lovely. And what about the old English foxhound ring? What happened there? Well, they, lots of people, lots of packs show and they're beautiful, dark, dark coloured hounds. Um, but they actually, yes, the North Shropshire had a double there. They won the Dog Championship and the Bits Championship as well. I mean, lots of competition from Percy and the Warwickshire and other good old English packs, but a really thrilling day for them. You know, they aren't, aren't as big as perhaps the BWH, the Heathrow, the Beaufort, the traditional big showing packs. And and their their huntsman has done an amazing job in helping to breed and look after beautiful hounds. They're lovely. Mm. And I think there was a double in the Beagles as well. Is that right? There was. I think that Steve Duckmanton, who is the very famous huntsman of the Dummer, was probably slightly surprised that his lovely bitch was beaten in the afternoon. But the Chilmark and Clifton Foots um, won both their championships with ex- extremely good looking hounds and. I mean, beagles are not only adorable, but when they stand and show themselves, somehow because they're because they're smaller than foxhounds and harriers, they, I don't know, they show themselves particularly well for some reason. They really stand there and say, "Look at me!" And there were some gorgeous beagles there, and yeah, it's a it's a very very competitive world hound showing, but it is done for a reason. We're not there because we want to produce pretty looking animals. We're there because we want to show that the best hounds are the ones that have good confirmation and move well. That means they hunt their trails well. That means they live longer, that they are more comfortable in their bodies and their physique, just like us. And it, it, it's, it's important because it showcases what, what well-conformed animals we are trying to breed rather than because we all love winning a rosette in brackets even though we do (laughs) yeah so very much the point that hounds are working animals who have a job and all these uh, hounds who are winning in the show ring this summer will be out hunting again this autumn and very much doing that job And, and the ones who've done well in the show ring should be the prime examples on the hunting field as well is that right Yes, very much so. And anyone who hasn't been to a hound show might think, oh my God, I wouldn't have a clue what I was looking at. But it's very similar to looking at a well-made horse, to be honest. And once you get your eye into thinking, 
Does this have a good shoulder? Does it have a strong straight front leg? What's the back like? How does it move? You can get quite captivated by it because those principles remain the same, probably across all animals, to be honest. Mm, well, maybe we can all head out and judge some sheep and cows and hounds and horses. And... <laughs> <laughs> Do you think sheep move well? I'm not quite sure. It'd be interesting to know, wouldn't it? I have never been to a sheep show. I'm not going to start getting involved in that. <laughs> oh, you should go to the Royal Welsh Show. Absolutely. It's amazing. But they don't really make them gallop, do they? Anyway. Uh, maybe it's more about judging the quality of the fleece. Yeah, maybe. We're going to get complaints from very successful sheep showers, I'm sure. We probably are. Let's stop going down that line. But Catherine, you're obviously very knowledgeable about showing hounds, if not sheep. So thank you for joining me to tell us all about that festival of hunting. I don't think I am very knowledgeable, but it's a great day out for hunting and it brings us all together. And of course, if you are a hound show geek and you want to get all the results and all the pictures, we have the full report on that in this week's magazine. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. Well, thank you to Lottie Fry and to all my colleagues for joining me on this week's Horse and Ham podcast, supported by Clip My Horse TV. It's been so great to look forward to the World Championships, as well as reviewing the Festival of Hunting. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking over all the action from the Royal International Horse Show in both the showing and the show jumping. And if you're particularly interested in hearing how the World Championships pan out following this preview, our review episodes for the Worlds are the 11th and the 18th of August episodes of the podcast. So we're looking forward to those as well. Talk to you soon. Goodbye. The Horse and Ham podcast is a Media Cage production.